like soup from a can and sports without highlights, you've come to the right place. This is the Sideline Dissonant Podcast, coming to you from YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, at the Brad Whitaker, Facebook, yada, yada, yada. Game six of the World Series is tonight. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to stop promoting. We have far too many social media platforms, and, you know, I think we should all just switch to Facebook and call it good. We all know Facebook. We all know how to use it. I shouldn't have to promote all this stuff. Like, what is SoundCloud? I post things on SoundCloud now. I'm get, I have 11 followers on SoundCloud. I have more followers on SoundCloud than I do YouTube. I don't get it. But that's enough. Again, we should all switch to Facebook. That's enough. Today I'm going to talk about Cam Newton. Is he whining or is he not whining? I, I, I think he's whining. Spoiler alert. Uh, I think... Yes, he's taken too many hits this year. Yes, there's been some roughing penalties, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. And Ray Allen, he retired today. I'm going to talk about what he meant for the game of basketball and the impact that he's had and the impact that he's going to continue to have even though he is a retired basketball player now. But first, Game 6 of the World Series tonight. Through five games, Aroldis Chapman has pitched in three of those games. And in Game 5, two nights ago, he pitched two and two-thirds of an inning, 42 pitches, and people are concerned he's being overworked in the World Series. Uh, I can imagine tonight in Game 6, he could go another two to three innings. Does that mean he's going to go another two to three innings in Game 7? Probably. Joe Madden doesn't have much of a bullpen, and if there is any advantage the Cleveland Indians actually have in this series on paper, I know they're winning it, and they're up 3-1, they're up 3-2 now, but if, if there's any advantage the Indians have on paper, it's their bullpen. The Cubs have an advantage in every other category. So it's no surprise Joe Madden has to rely on Aroldis Chapman. Now, to those freaking out that Aroldis Chapman is probably going to implode for being overworked, uh, ESPN's Jason Stark uh, put up a report today that shows no indication Chapman, if he throws more than 30 pitches in a game and is bouncing back, that his performance deteriorates. There's no indication. After, after games in which Chapman has thrown 30 pitches or more, on five days rest, he's given up no hits, no runs, but he's thrown two strikeouts. Three days rest, three innings pitched, one hit, no runs, six, six strikeouts, two days rest, one innings pitched, one inning pitch, zero hit, zero runs, two strikeouts. And coming off of no days rest, when Chapman goes back-to-back, games he's thrown at least 30 pitches, two innings pitched, one hit, no runs, two strikeouts. So, by this trend, he can go forever. You might as well start Chapman by this trend because he's going to continue to strike people out and not give up runs. Now, so don't be surprised if he comes in the seventh inning in game six or game seven. But this shouldn't even matter. This is the postseason. You pitch the best pitchers you have. I'm tired of this talk that you see from these baseball purists about resting players. You don't, it doesn't matter if you're resting players in the postseason. The classic example that I've been talking about for two weeks now. After Game 5 of the NLCS, Dodgers-Nationals, Dave Roberts, manager for the Dodgers, Dave Roberts, brought in Clayton Kershaw for the last final out of the game. Clayton Kershaw as a closer for one batter. It worked. 
<laughs> and then after the game, manager Dusty Br Baker went to the podium and he said, oh, well, that's, that's probably going to cost the Dodgers next series. You know, it's, it's risky bringing in Kershaw in that situation. It didn't matter. Dusty, your team is out because they brought in Kershaw. They brought in the best pitcher available. I'm all for being conservative in the postseason with your pitchers. In fact, Dave Roberts was the most conservative manager this major league season. He pulled two pitchers from no hitters. Nobody does that. Nobody does that if you want entertainment in baseball, and I hated it. But that pays dividends in the postseason. I think the Dodgers outperformed expectations, even though they, they didn't make it past the Cubs in the NLCS. And it's not like throwing out Chapman's arm is going to affect the Cubs. It might. Chapman's a free agent after this season. What it, it's, it's possible he'll negotiate with the Cubs and re-sign with Chicago, but what if he doesn't? Does it matter? Throw him as much as you want, Chicago. You, you have Chapman in the postseason. You're trying to win the World Series. I don't see the issue here. You play conservative in the regular season, and you get extra aggressive in the postseason. Joe Madden said, Game 6 and Game 7, John Lester is going to be available in the bullpen. So Hendricks blows up, or Arietta blows up. Hendricks would be Game 7. Uh, Lester's there. Lester's there to come in in the first inning and pitch like a starter if he has to, to pitch nine innings, and he'll do it. And I would trust him. I, I would expect Lester to get some innings, especially if the Cubs win game six and go on to game seven. If Lester doesn't pitch game six and the Cubs still win, I don't see any reason he doesn't come out of the bullpen in game seven. Moving on to today's NFL topic, uh, Cam Newton says he doesn't feel safe. Well, you are one of the biggest quarterbacks that's ever played the position in the NFL, and you scramble more than most of the quarterbacks at that position. You shouldn't feel safe, and the way Cam Newton plays football isn't safe. Now, I'm not arguing he hasn't dealt with a number of bad hits this season or missed roughing the passer calls because, you know, there were a couple in Denver, and there was one in his last game in week eight that clearly should have been a roughing the passer call. I'm not saying he's taken, he hasn't taken more hits than he deserves. But you see this fact at the bottom of the ticker on ESPN, you know, when they're talking about Cam Newton and, and you know, most of the personalities on ESPN seem to empathize with Newton in this situation, and you should, you know, it's, he plays a tough position. And, you know, I, I'm glad that he complained about this in a press conference after a win instead of complaining after a loss because he would have looked like a whiny baby if it had been after a loss. And, you know, I, I don't think Cam Newton is that much of a whiner. I think he has reason to be upset. But this statistic that says... Cam Newton hasn't drawn a roughing call since the end of 2014, which is true, is very misleading. Yes, it's true. Cam Newton hasn't drawn a single roughing the passer call since the final weeks of the 2014 season. Not last year when he won the MVP, the season before, the last weeks. But that hasn't told the whole story. If you go back two seasons since the beginning of the 2013 season, 
Jay Cutler, Alex Smith, Josh McCown, Geno Smith, Andrew Luck, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger, Case Keenum, and Ryan Tannehill have all had more missed roughing the passer calls. In fact, if you go back to 2011, no quarterback in the NFL has, had, has drawn more roughing the passer calls than Cam Newton. So it's just these, this last season and a half. We're halfway through the 2016 season that Newton's not getting these calls. So is he really doing something different in his game? I don't think so. I've, I went back and watched highlights from 2013. I went and watched some of his highlights from 2014 and 2015. He seems to become a better quarterback, but he also continues to make the same decisions, the same risky scrambles without sliding or protecting himself. His awareness in the pocket isn't the best. It's clear that, you know, should Newton be upset? Right now, perhaps. He hasn't, he's gotten hit far too many times in the last season and a half. But what do you do? Do you complain about it? No, you learn to adapt. Certain players have gotten hit many, many times. They don't have the best offensive lines. They learn to adapt. Tom Brady hasn't had the best offensive lines in the last, you know, he has a pretty good one right now, but in the last five seasons, not the best. His awareness in the pocket's gotten better. He's learned how to, to take hits and, and know when to accept he should take hits, know when to throw the ball away. But I'm afraid if Newton, Newton's 27 years old, he's only in his sixth NFL season, he's gonna, I don't see him playing into his 30s the way he plays right now. It's shocking he hasn't missed more games. There are quarterbacks that play similar styles to Newton. Not anywhere near as big as Newton. You know, obviously Newton's going to take harder hits because he's harder to bring down. But John Elway used to scramble a lot more earlier in his career. He played till he was 38 because he learned to adapt. Same thing with Donovan McNabb. He scrambled a ton at the beginning of his career. He's a big guy, not quite as big as Newton, but he's a big guy that knew how to scramble and you know he took plenty of hits. He played till he was 35. He adapted, he rushed less. He learned how to protect himself in the pocket, scrambling, he knew when to throw the ball away. I don't get the idea Cam Newton is looking for ways to strengthen his game. I think he's too dependent on what he's done since he was a junior college star, Auburn star and onward to the NFL. I think he's relied on the same sort of football. And it's not like he can't adapt. It's not like he can't learn to get rid of the football quicker or, or take less chances or, you know, he's strong. He can throw it accurately. He can throw it accurately deep. We've seen it many times. Why can't Newton do this? He's just not curious enough as an NFL player to want to learn how to change his game. And until he does that, it's going to be it's going to be rough for him. You know, he's not going to have the same offense that he had last season. 
I think last season a lot of things fell into place at the right time for the Panthers. But they got too confident and Newton became too dependent on this style of football that he's played his entire career. Even if your team is the best, you have to look at ways to improve from season to season. You can argue Cam Newton's wardrobe has improved. He's been intellectually curious in the realm of fashion for the last three or four seasons, that's for sure. He has a nice hat with feathers on it. Interesting. But maybe if he put as much time into learning that as he put into changing his game, learning how to protect himself in the pocket or know when to throw it away, throw on the run. You know, there are times when he makes risky throws that work out and then he gets hit right away and they go for 10, 15, 20 yard gains. But then he gets shelled and then he complains to the ref. And sometimes you have to throw it away before you take those hits and sacrifice what happens there because in the long run, more often than not, making that throw is a risky decision that ends up in an, inter in an interception or an injury. Newton needs to learn how to adapt. I'm not saying he doesn't have reason to be pissed. He does. But again, since 2011, Cam Newton, 22 roughing the passer calls. But none between 2015 and now. So he just needs to learn how to protect himself and not make as many risky decisions to protect himself and his career because he's not going to go another eight years and make it to 35 like Donovan McNabb the way he's playing right now. He's not going to make it to 30. Finally, Ray Allen called it quits today after a long absence from the NBA. Uh, apparently, he he didn't want to he didn't want to announce his retirement while he was still playing with pl playing with a team. He didn't want to have that feeling of leaving the court one last time and you know I don't blame him because I cried like a baby when David Ortiz retired and he certainly did as well uh, it sucked when the Red Sox got swept and I had to see him go out there and and salute the crowd and it just it was it was sad because it crossed your mind that this was the last time you'll ever see him play I don't blame Ray Allen for not wanting to go through that and you know it, this is a player, I talked, I talked on my podcast yesterday about, you know, the players that are great, or just people that are great at anything, they often put in 14-hour workdays. They don't put in 8-hour workdays, they put in 14-hour workdays. And Ray Allen is definitely one of those players. You know, you hear these stories about him showing up to the arena six hours before the game, just so he can get in his... What it was it like 153 pointers, 303 pointers that he shot? Ray Allen was, you know, Stephen Curry is still early in his career right now, so you have to say Ray Ray Allen is the greatest three point shooter of all time, and one of the clutchest players of all time. If it weren't for Ray Allen, LeBron wouldn't have gotten his second title against the San Antonio Spurs. That clutch three-pointer in the corner, that kept Miami alive. They ended up winning that game in overtime and eventually winning game seven. But Ray Allen hadn't made that shot, which, you know, LeBron took a three, he missed it. Chris Bosh got the rebound, kicked it to Allen in the corner, and 
one of the greatest shots in NBA history. Ray Allen. And, you know, now that LeBron's added this Cleveland title to his legacy, having, having those titles, having that extra one that Ray Allen saved certainly helps his legacy. And people forget that Ray Allen was more than just a three-point shooter, especially before he made it to the Boston Celtics. You know, he, he really wasn't relevant for, in the media in the NBA until he was about 32 years old. That's when he went to Boston. He spent his first years in Milwaukee and then Seattle, and he was incredibly athletic. He said he ran about five miles a game, and then he'd eat a small cheese pizza after every game just to recover because he worked out so hard. And he, he wasn't afraid to adapt his game. He became a better defensive player, as many great veterans often do. They're not afraid to evolve. They're not afraid to become role players. They're not afraid to come off the bench like he did in Miami. And can you imagine if Ray Allen were entering the league right now in this era where the three-point shot is everything? But I, I think you can argue that this era exists, that the Golden State Warriors exist, a team that relies on 37, 38, 39% three-point shooting. They wouldn't exist if it weren't for a player like Ray Allen. Ray Allen shot 40% from three his entire career. On average, he shot 40% from beyond the arc. His second to last season, which was his first season in Miami, his second to last season, the second to last season of his career, he shot 42% from three. And the year before, his last season in Boston, he shot 45%. That was late in his career. So Allen came into the league not just as a three-point shooter, though. He learned how to perfect his craft as a deep shooter, but he came into the league because he was... Microphone fell. Uh, he came into the league because he was a versatile threat. And he just got better as he... You know, he was the go-to guy in Milwaukee and the go-to guy in Seattle. It wasn't until he was a role player in Boston that he perfected the, that three-point shot. But Allen will finish his career with 2,973 three-pointers. Hall of Famer for sure. All right, that's it for this podcast. I had to cut it short again because still having SD card issues, but the new one should be here later this evening, and I will have longer podcasts so you get to listen to me talk more. Yay! Uh, that's it for this one. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, either talking about Game 7 of the World Series or how the Cleveland Indians won it in Game 6 and how it ultimately came down to LeBron James breaking the Cleveland curse. <laughs>